Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Naja Wright-Brown and Greg Brown, founders of Vegan Soul Food Bistro, the land of Cush in Baltimore, Maryland. Naja, a native New Yorker born in Manhattan's Lower East Side and raised in the South Bronx, is a people person with over 20 years of customer relations experience. She's held managerial, technical and administrative positions at Verizon Wireless, Dow Jones Markets and Credit Suisse First Boston. She co-founded and organises Vegan Soul Fest, an annual vegan festival for Baltimore's inner city communities, which attracts around 7,000 attendees. She's also the executive director of the Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland, an organisation that connects people wherever they are on their journey to veganism with a focus on the black and Latino communities. Greg had no intention of becoming a vegan chef. Like Naja, he had a career in corporate America. In fact, they worked together at Verizon. After becoming vegetarian in the late 90s and then vegan, he learned how to cook without animal products out of necessity. In 2008, during the height of the mortgage crisis in the US, the couple left their successful jobs to realise the dream of opening a vegan soul food restaurant. The eatery attracts a diverse range of clientele from all walks of life, both vegans and non-vegans, including politicians and celebrities such as Stevie Wonder. Now, what's extra special about the land of Kush is that as well as being a for-profit business, it also has a social mission to give back to the local community. Many of the employees are black youth who have never held a job. Naja and Greg provide training and mentoring and go out of their way to give people, many of whom have been on public assistance for a long time, a chance to become leaders. In this interview, Naja and Greg talk about how they get their staff, many of whom are from economically depressed communities, to become ambassadors for their brand, the benefits of rewards programs to keep customers coming back, how collaboration with other businesses, non-profits, schools and community organisations has been instrumental in the restaurant's success, a different way to look at your day job, especially if you hate it, how to work successfully with your partner in business, even when you're both A-type personalities, and much more. Here's the interview with Naja Wright-Brown and Greg Brown from the Land of Kush. Hello, Naja and Greg. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Katrina. Thank you. So I love the sound of your business. I really love what you do. And I'm really excited to dig a little deeper and, um, yeah, telling our listeners what you do and some of the business strategies behind it as well. So let's kick off with the why. Why do you run the Land of Kush? What's your driver or your purpose? Well, my drive and purpose is vegan soul, driving the vegan soul message into, into the community, making sure that the community knows that vegan food isn't just rabbit food. We push a vegan soul cuisine here, collard greens, yams. We make our own baked mac and cheese. We veganize barbecue ribs, curry chicken. So vegan food doesn't have to be dull or boring. You're making me hungry. They sound delicious. <laughs> Greg, did you want to add something? Oh, sure. Um, uh, it's, it's just to, you know, provide some options out there for, for vegans and also to make a place that's kind of holistic, um, not just to separate vegans from the rest of the world, but to drive people who aren't vegan um, to eating vegan food and trying vegan food. And, and like, like not just said, it's not rabbit food. You know, there, there are plenty of options out here. So it's to drive people and to make a place where, you know, everyone can come together, vegans and non-vegans. So often we go to places as vegans and there's not much option except for 
a salad, you know, but you know, here there's a, there's a wide selection of food, obviously for vegans. And we get a lot of non-vegan customers who, who really love and enjoy the food. Oh, that's yeah, good. So yeah. Many. Uh, yeah, because I was going to ask you about that, about who you're, you know, because you've got quite a niche there, you know, vegan soul food, which is fantastic. I, I love that. And I was curious about who your predominant customer base is. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's hard to gauge because I look at all the Yelp reviews, or, or not just Yelp. We have a reviews, um, uh, a couple of platforms that we use here. We look at Google, we look at Facebook, we look at um, TripAdvisor, Foursquare, and you have people that say they're vegan that review us. And then there's a lot of non-vegans that give us four or five stars. And these are folks that say they will probably never become vegan, but they love coming here to eat. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't really gauge it. We got a lot of vegans, but we also have a lot of non-vegans coming in. Which well, is, and yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really difficult to gauge because we have so many different types of people that just come in. I mean, you have all different backgrounds. You have uh, black, white, Latino, uh, East Indian, West Indian, Asian, just all types of people that come in from all kinds of backgrounds. You have lawyers and doctors, politicians. You have um, people who are on social assistance. You have so many different people that come in here. And at any given time, any of those groups can be in here. And you might have all of one group or a mix of everything. You might have right. punk rockers in here. Right. Or you might have a bunch of Rastafarians. You might have musicians in here. Celebrities like Stevie Wonder. We we, we had the opportunity to serve him two days in a row oh, uh, a wow. few years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he just Googled us and found out about the restaurant. So, yeah, that was amazing. Oh, fantastic. I love that, that it's so diverse. And like you say, you're, you know, you've got your, your vegan customers who are generally loyal to vegan businesses, but you're also branching out and really appealing to the mainstream, which I absolutely love. Um, tell us a little bit about, let's go back a little bit and tell us a little bit about the name, the Land of Kush. It's a fabulous name. Tell us a bit about how you came up with that and what it means. So basically, I study African history. Um, and so I wanted, um, I, and I like the period of pre-slave trade. So I wanted something that kind of represented the diaspora of, of, of black people across the globe. And so the land of Kush is ancient Nile uh, civilization. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's basically why I named it that. Like, I just wanted to bring some awareness to, uh, African culture, um, here in the U S that's outside of, you know, traditionally what we're taught here in the U.S. Yeah, the slavery, because there was, there's always been uh, black history before any history is black history. There's ancient African history. So being here at the land of Kush, that's the number one question. What does Kush mean? So uh, people are enlightened when we give them uh, the reason and where it comes from. And we've also been enlightened to find out that Kush means happy in India. So the land of happy. So that's awesome. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Love that. Fantastic. So tell us about when you were first starting out, what, um, starting out with a business, what were some of your key challenges? Um, opening the doors. Um, <laughs> Well, the major thing was learning the restaurant industry coming from a non-restaurant background. I mean, basically, we came from corporate America, call center background. We were working for Verizon Wireless. Um, But what happened was is we were doing festivals. I was doing catering and, and personal chef services. So the biggest challenge was like actually being in a restaurant space all day and trying to figure out, you know, just just trying to manage it and understand, you know, everything that goes along with that type of operation that you're not quite used to. So that was the the, the major challenge. And then always just getting people in the door. Or finding the location, because um, I, I deal with all the marketing um, for the land of Kush. So location, location, location is very important. So we had to be in a prime location that would attract uh, the diverse crowd that we have. So it was very difficult. Uh, Greg and I got into the, like a, a major argument over locations. It was that serious, finding the right location. And then, of course, I won, and we landed on 840. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> the goal was we had to live upstairs because we're not restaurateurs. We're just learning this. So we had to be close to the business, not somewhere 20 miles, 30 miles away. We, I wanted us to be close because I knew it was going to be long hours and I was not budging from that goal. <laughs> Well, that sounds that's smart. It sounds like a very, very smart idea. It's very strategic. I, I, I love that. That's fantastic. Because um, it's true, like particularly with the restaurant trade, you know, it can be it's quite a difficult industry, you know, quite, uh, you know, you often see, you know, restaurants opening and then they close because a lot of people don't realise what's involved. So I love that, you, you know, you did all that research and you really came up with some practical strategies like don't live too far away from the business, particularly if it's not an industry that you're in. So um, that's fantastic. So what about then as you've grown because you've grown you've become a successful business you're serving celebrities and like Stevie Wonder which is fantastic how have the challenges changed as you've grown as a business finding the right employees that fit our business that is a never-ending challenge we continue to go through it right now as we're looking to place uh for three fill three positions so Greg could definitely speak to that a little bit more. I interview the candidates. Um, I try to make sure that, uh, you know, they have strong personalities, but also pleasant, strong, because we want leaders in the business that, that are interested uh, in, in, in learning the business and, and, and increasing their business acumen. It's very, very difficult to find that in, in the market that we're in. Right. And so, and then also um, it's at this point, it's, it's, learning how to grow the business beyond where we are because, you know, although we've always talked about franchising the business, now we're at the point where, oh, that's a definite reality. And, you know, first of all, it was just getting the doors open and, and being open and staying open. And now that we've obviously succeeded in that, now we're at a growth point where, okay, well, you know, what do we do? How do we expand the business? How do we grow from this level? to the next level. So obviously, like Nadja said, finding the right employees is, is part of that. But then just, you know, learning, you know, how, how do you open up a second location? How do you manage two locations at the same time? So those are kind of the challenges that, that we're facing right now. Got it, got it. I like that you touched on the staff there because I think one of the really cool, um, fabulous things about your business is that a lot of your employees, you employ local um, black youth um, who maybe haven't had um, jobs before. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, um, we definitely pride ourselves on in employing from within the uh, community because obviously it, it is this is an economically depressed city. So we want to make sure that we are outreaching to the community, letting them know that, you know, when there are jobs available, we will look at you a lot of times. Um, you know, if you have a background, uh, as long as it's not, you know, you, you, you killed or murdered somebody, maybe we'll, we'll take you in. But um, we are open and fair. And um, we just want people that are hungry to learn, uh, that want to be here, not just to be here uh, for the dollar, but to be here for the business, for the customers that are paying their salaries. Uh, and, and some some of the youth get that, and unfortunately, some of them don't. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's obviously a target for us. I mean, I'm black. I mean, not just uh, black Latino, and she comes from, you know, urban area. I grew up in an urban area, so it's obviously part of our mission is to, to give back because it's not just a restaurant. It's a social mission as well. Obviously, just from being vegan, it's a social mission, right? So part of it is to, you know, hire people um, who have difficult times finding jobs or understanding what it's like to have a job. And so what we do is not only do we bring those people in um, from, from some, sometimes from blighted areas, we bring those people in, give them jobs, but we're giving them training as well from a corporate standpoint, which a lot of times people don't get. We're giving you, you know, management skills. We're giving you leadership skills. We give, we give our staff the opportunity to lead Whereas financial maybe, skills, financial Learn skills, how to save. <laughs> whereas, you know, maybe other places that they go to, they would possibly go to work. They wouldn't necessarily get the extracurricular education from a job, you know, one on one from owners or from management that can really help them develop as human beings and not just employees. 
As a matter of fact, I had an interview. I interviewed a young woman yesterday. Now, we, we just had a, a little snowstorm. Uh, I have four interviews scheduled. She was the only one that showed up. She called before coming to make sure we were open. And, and this is an individual that's been on public assistance. So we, we're working with the city on uh, their a special program where they're trying to hire more people uh, that have been on public assistance. She came here uh, through the snow, no issues. She's never had a job in the food service industry, but she proved to me in the interview that she was willing to, to learn. She wanted to do this and she's coming on board Thursday and we're, we're going to check her out. Oh, fantastic. I love hearing this. It really just makes me, you know, makes my heart feel so warm hearing this because it's so refreshing to hear. And it's interesting you say that, tell me that story today, because today we went to the uh, computer store to, to get something. And there was a big chain of computers, or electronic stores here in Australia called Dick Smith. And they basically went bankrupt um, about a couple mm. of years or so ago. And one of the guys in this other store, he's now got a job in this different um, company. And he was saying how, like they changed they did so many awful things like the um the staff were given gift vouchers but then they weren't able to spend them because the company went bankrupt they changed all the contracts so like the long-term <laughs> staff were supposed to get payouts depending on how long they'd worked there but instead they redid all the contracts so everyone was like on new contract like really like you know horrible stuff they obviously knew they were going to go under and you know this poor guy you know who was saying and of course we we're on the front line in the computer stores they were the ones getting all the uh, you know, um, copying all the flack from customers who were coming in with gift cards and they couldn't spend them because the company was closing down. So it's really refreshing to hear a lovely story like you've just shared today on what you're doing in your business as a, a social mission. I think that's absolutely wonderful. So what about some of the reactions then? So, um, you know, as you said, uh, you know, you've got some of the, the, the young people particularly and they've been on public assistance, maybe they haven't had jobs before and they're here they are working in a, a vegan social food restaurant what are their reactions to working in a vegan business so um i think it's exciting for them because i think a lot of times uh young people they they like new stuff especially in this age of technology everything new information and because it's you know it's a new job for them and it's a vegan restaurant um they're learning something new they're learning about veganism and then when they go home and their travels, they're catching the bus, public transportation, and they have on a Land of Kush T-shirt, and somebody asked them about the Land of Kush. Now they're going into and explaining it, and they're drawing people to the restaurant. So, and then they, because of the popularity of the restaurant, they themselves become popular because, you know, their pictures are out there on Instagram, right. Facebook, yeah. with celebrities. And their friends are seeing this. And so, you know, it becomes a popular thing for them. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's brand new. It's something that people don't know about. And so they're explaining it because their circle, their circle of people don't know about veganism. Now it's somebody who, who's learning about veganism is now explaining veganism to someone who hasn't heard about veganism. And so it's an interesting dynamic for them is brand new and i think it's exciting for them they, they naturally become ambassadors which is awesome which is what we want them to do um and they on top of that the continuous learning uh even in the industry we just had a, a eco hip-hop artist uh here uh, last friday during a meetup eat up event that we had dj cave so they started oh, to yeah. learn about oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was here and the whole eco hip hop, like, you know, what is that? And he, he actually uh, performed for uh, customers in the restaurants. They got to see all that. So what to do is different. So they're constantly learning something while they're in here. So it's, it's incredible. And we're, we're happy to offer that to the employees, that, wow. that experience, that, that vegan soul experience. Fantastic. And, and, then, and then also they're, they're learning how to prepare vegan food. Yeah. So now that, you know, even though they may not necessarily have a food background, but even the ones that do, the ones that do now, they want to expand their knowledge of cooking. And the ones that don't, they're preparing food, maybe salads and things like that. Then they're because they now like the salads, they're eating the food. They know what they like. And so now they're taking the stuff home to their families and they're like, well, I can make this at home. And now they're preparing vegan food in their own homes. 
And and the the samples we get, we get all type of vegan samples. But we just brought in some vegan uh, cupcakes, different flavors, and they're buying them. They're buying them by the dozen now. Like when we order, <laughs> it's not just the customers; they're ordering vegan cupcakes oh, wow. by the dozen. <laughs> on top of that, get to make smoothies for themselves. So you know, it's all all fun. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! How fantastic! Now let's talk a little bit about competition. Um, there's now more vegan restaurants than ever, particularly as the plant uh, the plant-based trend grows. I mean, obviously, you've got a little bit of a niche going on uh, with vegan soul food. Um, are there any other ways you go about kind of standing out within the vegan business arena and also just in the general um, business and restaurant arena to maintain that steady flow of customers? Because you mentioned earlier, you've opened the doors, you've now got those customers coming in. What do you do to kind of stand out and continue to maintain that? We reward our customers for coming back. So there's a special a loyalty program uh, that we have found out we're the only one in the city using and only nine companies in the state of Maryland are using. It's called Royalty Rewards. So our customers get paid to come back and eat with us. So we continue to reel them in with these rewards. So they get uh, award certificates when they spend a certain amount of money. Um, they get yearly certificates for their anniversary. They get birth birthday cards, anniversary cards, their family members, if they sign them up onto the account, they get birthday cards as well. So just just showing that appreciation that you're, you're here, you're supporting us, here is our give back. So that's one of the things that we're doing to maintain the, the, the uh, flow of customers into the restaurant. The other, the other piece is, is that, uh, like I was mentioning earlier, is that we're not just a restaurant, but we're a social mission. And so a lot, of, a lot of what we do is outreach into the community, not just hiring people, but also, say, for example, supporting um, other vegan organizations that may have nonprofits, whether it's through food donations for an event or a financial donation or having a fundraiser at the restaurant. So we do that for other vegan organizations. And then also just for organizations in general in the city, we might do a fundraiser or we go speak at schools, or we go to community events, and we, like, uh, we've done stuff for the elderly. We've done for the stuff. mayor. We did a cooking demo for the mayor for Black History Month, the mayor, uh, mayor Pugh of Baltimore. Right. So, so, you know, part of what we do is social outreach, and we gain a lot of attention because of that. So that helps drive people, continually drive people in restaurant who are already customers but then it also drives new people into the restaurant when they hear us speak and i look at it i look at competition as options because i myself being a marketing person i like to go out and eat different things i'm not eating land of kush every day um i like variety so when i go out and i eat at different places it's options to me we need we, we can use more options and different styles and and, and different type of cuisines so um, I, I tend, we, we know it's competition, but I look at it as options. There's options for everyone. Mm, I love that. I get the impression that you guys are very big collaborators because I was going to ask you about that. About yeah. So instead of seeing yeah. other business or other restaurants as, as competition, they're more like collaborators. Can you talk a little bit about some of the maybe joint ventures or collaborations that you've done with other businesses, whether that's other restaurants or other vegan businesses? Mm, that's a that's a good one. So part of what we do, so there's a vegan business called Pet Foods. Um, so, I mean, we collaborate with, they do a vegan living program, which is basically a support group. It's a week-long educational uh, sessions that go on about uh, learning how to become vegan and what it means to become vegan. So we partner with them. It's on- actually Open the Cages Alliance is the organization that puts that on. Um, and then Pet Foods is a collective. They're a collective of uh, vegan uh, businesses, and, and they shop around. They probably make their own cheeses. They make their own sausages, uh, like vegan sausages, uh, mayo, and things like that. So uh, definitely you can continue. Oh, so, we, so we partner with them on that, and then – one of the uh, organizers for Open the Cages and as well as Pep Foods, uh, Brenda Saunders, uh, my wife, uh, and she, Naja and her partner to do Vegan Soul Fest, yeah. which is a vegan festival here um, in Baltimore that they put on that's, that will attract, um, this year will probably be about 10,000 people will come out for that festival. Wow. Um, so, 
Yeah, so um, I'm a collaborator. I love to collaborate. So myself and Brenda was sitting sitting in the restaurant talking about uh, festivals. You know, I go to Fe- Veg Fest and she attends Veg Fest, and you know, we just we we thought it would be great to bring something like that to the inner city of Baltimore because there aren't any Veg Fest in act the actual city, maybe in the county. And so in three and a half months, this was in 2014. Three and a half months, we we said, hey, we're going to do this. And we thought it was going to be some little shindig thing, a couple of hundred <laughs> folks, some vendors. Uh, we outgrew the building. We, we did it at the, uh, we held it at the Downtown Cultural Arts Center, which is not too far from our restaurant. And we had to petition the city to allow us to put vendors outside and around the building. It got so big that it drew attention of the Baltimore Sun and they had to do a write-up. And they called, they coined it the New Food Festival. (laughs) Vegan Soul Fest. So fast forward three years later, we were at 7,000 people and uh, we we partnered with Baltimore City Community College, which uh, took us in with open arms. And we'll be back there again this year, August 26th at Baltimore City Community College, and we're, we're looking for 10,000 people to come out this year. So it's going to be great. It's going to oh, be awesome. That's fantastic. So what business benefits does that bring you? Does it is it a case of kind of raising your profile and getting newer customers into the restaurant? Absolutely. <laughs> Big major, major outreach. Like, you know, what more uh, exposure can you get than being smack dead in the middle of a festival with your food? Folks from all over, as far as New England, all the way down to the Carolinas, come up for this festival. Wow. So, you know, a lot of folks. Yeah, a lot of folks say, I've heard of the restaurant, never try it. You hear, they get to try the food and they run down to the restaurant <laughs> because it's usually on a weekend and we serve our vegan crab cakes, our top voted vegan crab cakes. Uh, so, you know, the festival food is not enough. They have a little bit of that and they run down to the restaurant. So it's usually stacked in here on that day of the festival. Wow. So what's involved in putting that? Because that must be like like organizing an event like that is quite intense. Um, And you're also running a restaurant. So how do you kind of uh, handle the challenges involved in putting on particularly such a lot as the events got bigger, putting on such a large event like that in addition to running your restaurant? Uh, Well, Greg handles the truck you know, delivering uh, the items we need to the festival. So he can focus 100% on the restaurant. That's just a small task he has for the festival. My job in the festival is, of course, getting sponsors, uh, the promotion uh, and the marketing, advertising of the event, getting vendors for the event, because it's two different strategies. A lot of times uh, people focus on one strategy when it comes to festival, but it's two. You actually have to bring the vendors in because without the vendors, you have folks coming in and, and, and there's nothing to buy. So one strategy to get vendors and sponsors and then another strategy to bring the people in. And that's why the numbers have been increasing every year. Um, I usually like to start uh, no less than six months in planning. Uh, preferably a year would be great, but it, it seems like we've been running between a five and six months month frame. It can be very stressful stressful because that's not the only project that I'm working on. I'm still continuing to market for Land of Kush. And now we have a nonprofit that we officially became a 501c3 of uh, the Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland. So it's just a matter oh, of cool. having to do this <laughs> and, and your timelines and your deadlines. And, um, you know, and of course, the day of the event, there's little things that come up and, and it's just learning experiences. And you just push forward but people love this festival it's just it was something that everyone was waiting for it sounds like you've really tapped into something very very unique like you say if the people are traveling all the way up from like you say the North Carolina South Carolina that's uh, that's pretty amazing that's fantastic now you touched on uh, media um, the Baltimore Sun wrote about you because I, I know you've been featured in some media so in terms of that did you how did that come about I guess that one they heard about the festival um, like do you kind of in, uh, go to the media with stories or are you just kind of putting yourself out there so much that they're they're coming to you well i mean we've been pretty lucky in in that the media has come to us and and just asked to do stories or you know i mean it's it's really been like that i mean we had one one of the employees that we had that went to uh 
my alma mater in terms of college, uh, Albert Phillips, he went to uh, Morgan State University and he was a journalist, a, a journalism major. And he wrote a, one of his goals was to get published in a, a national publication. So he pitched an article about our restaurant to a magazine called Black Enterprise and they picked it up. And so, you know, it's, it's little things like that that have happened that we, we haven't actually gone out there to try to attract media per se, because most of the marketing that we do is word of mouth, but it's just that media has come to us. Ebony you know. Magazine, Black right. Chef, Iron, talk about that. Right. So, I mean, we, we've just had the opportunity to, um, we've been very fortunate in that people have reached out to us through one, through just knowing us and have asked to do articles on us. Yeah. yeah Greg got featured in Ebony Magazine, uh, uh, black executive chefs that are hiring uh, black male youths in the community. So that was a major uh, feature that uh, he got and they reached out to us. Fantastic. That just goes to show that, you know, you're really kind of putting yourself out there with live events um, online and like you say, the word of mouth. Um, and that, so that's, that's fantastic to hear that. So on the subject of then of marketing and, and PR, what kinds of, I know you've touched on obviously doing the Soul Fest and you mentioned Veg Fest. What other kind of marketing strategies do you do and that you've found have been successful in spreading the word? A lot of social media. I'm constantly on social media. I have so many different pages. <laughs> I got to manage <laughs> my post page, the Land of Kush page, Vegan Soul Fest, um, now the Black Vest Society of Maryland. So social media has helped me tremendously. And we're talking about Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, um, even playing a little bit with uh, Snapchat. You know, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn, you know, the impact of Snapchat. But uh, constant, constant social media engagement. People love it. And, and, and a lot of times it's not just about the restaurant and sending out specials. Uh, we may be sharing uh, things that other people are doing. Uh, this is coming up, you know, so it's not always all about us. We're, we're sharing information that uh, has been shared with us. So it, it's just fun. I mean, it's a fun platform to be on in terms of com communication. Yeah, I like that you said that. It's not all about you yeah, just going on and saying, oh, look at us, look at us, here's our stuff. It's doing that mix of, of sharing with uh, other people's stuff and just interesting things that people would like. And I think that's what keeps people coming back, particularly to business pages. You know, if they know a business page isn't just going to be constantly, you know, selling, 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 but more of an interesting place to be, then when you do put out something, you know, about, like you say, your specials or, or, you, or you know, whatever, then people are more open to that because, you know, you're only doing it occasionally. Yes. Cool. What about the use of the word vegan? Um, because, you know, there's obviously different schools of thought on, you know, whether you should, how much you should use it. Um, and, you know, people have changed their minds. They may have started out not using it, but now it's become a bit cool and trendy. They're using it more. Um, tell us a little bit about your uh, decision on how much to use the word vegan in your branding and your marketing and how prominently. So at first, I mean, because the way our logo sits, it says the land of Kush vegetarian cuisine. At first, um, you know, six years ago, vegan wasn't even as popular as it is now. And so that's only six years ago. So at first it was just, you know, not to make people think too hard about what the food is. People understood, understand vegetarian, okay? They understand a general concept of what that means. And, okay, that can draw them into the store, and then we can explain the whole vegan thing later. But now, because of its popularity, like, we're going through a slight rebranding where it's going to say the Land of Kush Vegan, vegan Soul Bistro. And so, you know, just playing on the whole word vegan, because now people are more aware of, of the word vegan, whether it's through social media, whether it's through entertainers. Um, you have actors, actresses, musicians that are all now going vegan, um, and, and they're using this word prominently. So now people know. People know about being vegan. That You hear it from non-vegans. They, they talk about vegan. Even in commercials, um, you hear uh, meat companies really going after vegans. Like you hear commercials um, from, these, from the meat industry um, that attack 
not not necessarily attack vegans, but they're being very cynical um, towards vegans in marketing their product. So just by the use of the word vegan, even in that setting, has has said a lot that, okay, this is a word of popularity and it means something and, and that the general public recognizes it. And because of that, okay, now we can now we can use the word vegan more. Okay, good. That's great. That helps us grow because that was part of the goal anyway, is to grow the idealism behind veganism and to grow it in the general public. Okay, now it's growing in the general public. Now let's take it even further than that. So now we're starting to use the word vegan more in the way we market the business. And um, to add on to that, yes, vegan, the word vegan can be very scary to some. Uh, for the Vegan Soul Fest, we purposely called it Vegan Soul Fest because we wanted to bring the attention to the word vegan. So that was a bold approach, and we hear it all the time because a lot of times you hear veg fest, veg fest, but bringing a vegan fast or vegan fast, you know, folks are like, wow, you know, you, you bold. That was a bold move, but we've successfully uh, accomplished what we set out to do. Secondly, the word vegetarian, when, when folks, we have the local vegetarian cuisine, when they're questioning that, oh, you got cheese and, 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 and dairy? No, we're pure vegetarian. And there was a time, pure vegetarian, it meant it was still whole foods based. There were none of these other uh, animal products. It, it was some. That's where the terms lacto-oval or lacto-vegetarian, oval-vegetarian. When I'm talking about vegetarian, it's pure vegetarian and plant-based. So, yeah, it depends on the project and what we're trying to do, whether we're going to use the word vegan or plant-based or vegetarian or vegan slash vegetarian. It, it really depends on the project that we're working on. But, yes, we are rebranding to be called Vegan Soul Bistro. <laughs> Wonderful. And I love that you've associated, like, because when you think of soul food, like you say, most people think of the traditional soul food, like the fried chicken. And because you're now putting this vegan um, aspect or component to it, it really is demystifying, like you say, what vegan cuisine is about. So um, I, I love that you're doing that. That's fantastic. I always like hearing about, you know, people's choice of the use of the word and whether to use uh, vegan or not. So I love that you've been bold and that it's been very successful. That's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> so for people who are listening um, now, Drew and Greg, and they're, you know, maybe inspired by you guys, because how could anyone not be inspired by the two of you? Um, and they wanted to maybe start their own vegan run business, whether that's an eatery or, or some other kind of business. Um, what advice would you give to them? What should they take into account before taking that leap from being employed to self-employed and running their own business? I definitely say uh, save up, <laughs> have have some sort of um, opportunity uh, uh, savings. I say opportunity because, you know, this is money that you're not sure where it's going to go yet. You're hoping for the best, but you have to prepare for the worst. So have some type of cushion laid out. Uh, do your research. You know, know what you're getting into. You know, how do you open this business? What type of licensing and um, the certificates do you need to, to start it? And you should be building your business before you even leave your company. You should be selling product like what Greg mentioned earlier uh, in, in the interview, the personal chef services, the catering, doing festivals. You should be doing all these things to build your fan base. While he was out there doing that, while we were at festivals, I was collecting customer information. I was collecting names. I was collecting email addresses. So it wasn't this thing that once we got the location, now we're trying to figure out who we're going to market to. No, we had a customer base that, you know, we still have a customer to this day. Our very first customer that he used to cater to, she comes to the restaurant to this day. So you need to be mark building your customer base, marketing from day one. Uh, I would say have a, a nice cushion because we are self-funded. We don't have any loan out on the business um so you, you really have to gauge how you want to move forward financially yeah, and i would say just like not just like not just said um sell your product you know like don't wait to open the doors of a business to sell your product like while you're working for someone else um you know start making producing your product and selling your product if you sell one you're in business you know so sell one first it starts like that, selling one dinner, one shirt, one pair of shoes, one video, one whatever. Um, make that product, sell that product, um, and also um, 
believe in your product and yourself. Um, no, don't wait for someone else to believe in your product and your mission. You believe in your product and mission first because that's what's going to sell it. It's not everybody else that's going to sell your product. They'll tell people about it, but you're the one that's going to sell the product because the business is based off of you and your personality, and that's what goes behind it. So, you know, sell your product, sell yourself, and, and, and believe in it. I'm so glad that Greg said that because when we opened the restaurant, when we officially were working on opening the doors to this restaurant, it was during the height of the mortgage crisis. So you can imagine what people were saying. We, we had these nice, nice <laughs> Decent money, excellent benefits, and folks were like, "You got to be out of your mind. <laughs> Keep your job." So, and we push forward. You know, we push forward, and six years later, you know, we're we're success. We're uh, you, you, there is going to be some level of risk, and that's why I say you have to prepare. You know, for the worst, just be ready for it. And sometimes you may not be as ready as you want to be, but move forward. Got it. Fantastic. And it's interesting you touched on that, The um, you know, you both had these uh, corporate jobs um, for working for Verizon, I think you said. So what skills from your previous jobs and career have been useful in running your own business? Because I know for some people, they, they often think, oh, well, I, if I'm going to start a business, I've got to have a history, you know, in that business. But certainly some of the people I'm interviewing and including yourselves, that no, that's not necessarily the case. But I think it's good for the people to know that they can perhaps look at what their skill set is and and how that can be useful in, in running a business. So can you just talk a little bit about that in terms of your own um, skills? I'm definitely a transformational leader. Um, I, take a leadership, I take a leadership position in anything that I do, whether it's doing something in the restaurant with the marketing or, or collaborating with folks, whatever project I'm on, uh, I'm a leader. Uh, so I think those skills... I feel those skills were developed at uh, Verizon Wireless uh, as soon as I became a supervisor. I mean, people could see that I was a leader and I could influence people, coach and develop other people to be leaders because that's imp important, um, uh, as well as just the business acumen skills, understanding why are we in business and how do we build the business and, you know, the 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 relationships that we have to make. Relationship building is very important. Your reputation is very important and understanding the value of that because people look at that. When you recommend someone, you want to make sure this person has a good reputation um, before you recommend. So just, just knowing those things. And I feel I myself am a brand and I walk like that. I am a personal brand in myself. So I would say um, for me, I mean, obviously the leadership skills, but then also um, the customer service piece, because we came from customer service background. So obviously, um, oh, very that's, important, that's, very important. That's a skill set mm -hmm. to bring um, that we that we bring to the table um, and, and bring to our customers. Um, just and, and what I would say to that in general is you have to look at whatever you are doing or have done in your life as the foundations for what you're about to do. So being able to look back on what you've done and pulling skill sets out of that and applying it to what you want to do um, is, is vital. And, and you may not see everything at first, but when you go back and look, you may you may think like like I'll just give an example. Like I I worked in fast food when I was a teenager, not knowing I even had the desire to run a restaurant later in life. But those experiences, or I worked for an inventory company, and now I'm you know managing inventory at a restaurant. And so the customer service piece from working at Verizon Wireless. So all your experiences that you've gathered haphazardly. Um, build up to, you know, useful tools um, in your business to come. And so it's all of those things. It's, it's, I can go through so many details into, you know, what I pulled out from previous experiences that we're using now. But just as a general conversation, you know, we often say we hate our nine to fives and we just want to get away from the nine to five, but it's not about that. Your nine to five is your, is your first funder for your business. Right. They put up the first money for your business because <laughs> they're giving you, they're, they're giving you a check. You're managing that money. 
And if you manage it properly, those are funds that you can use to start your business. Right, right. So, you know, that's a skill. That's part of your skill set is managing money. So, you know, or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is that you're doing, take pieces from that. Knowing and, metrics. And, and using it in your business. Your, your metrics, the quarterly reviews that we used to have at Verizon Wireless, that, that, that's definitely understanding because you, you're looking at monthly numbers. You're looking at how you're doing quarter over quarter, year over year. You know, we run into folks that they have no clue what their numbers are. So knowing the numbers are important. Absolutely. I like that you've shared that because I think we can all get caught up with that sometimes, you know, uh, and there are people listening that maybe are in, like you say, the nine to five and thinking, oh, I hate my job and what have you. But I think it's actually good to do what you said and actually change that perspective and just think, well, what can I learn for it? What skills am I learning? You know, whether it's customer service or money or whatever it is, because I know when I look back over my you know, career and at the time, I th- there were certain jobs I had that, you know, were just to pay the bills. And I thought, oh, I don't really like them. But now I look back and I think, oh, I actually learned this, this and this from that. And it's almost like the universe is conspiring to sort of put you through, you know, (laughs) these certain um, jobs and careers and nothing is wasted because we can learn something from from every kind of um, job that that we do. So I love that you've you've shared that. So um, we talked about a little bit about how it can be a bit stressful, you know, running your own business, especially when you're doing lots of other projects. You know, you've got your new nonprofit that you you talked about, the Black Vegetarian Society (laughs) of Maryland, and you've got the Vegan Soul Vest, you've got your restaurant. Um, what personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful vegan business? Um, loving to read. <laughs> reading books, meditating, yoga, working out, um, uh, all that helps me and, and also listening uh, to to meditative tracks like the, the music, whether it's the ocean and sound, subliminal things really help me manage the stress because it, it, it can get stressful. And then we have a five year old. So Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so all all that that helps me uh, just keeping uh, a calm uh, demeanor and, and yes I do, you know, having a, an understandable and great uh, husband and Greg, because you know I can I can release on him, and he understands because he's the same business dealing, you know, with the same thing I'm dealing with. It, it, it's great, you know, works out real good. Um, the the meditation piece is huge, you know, because when you're doing projects and uh, because especially when you start your own business and you leave working for someone else to do your own business your circle of influence immediately changes and you start to see all the things that you can possibly do because all the things that you've, you, you know, you've dreamt about that you kind of pushed to the back of your head and said, well, that's in the maybe folder. Now you see that's in the real possibility folder. It can be overwhelming and you start your business and, and, you know, you're, you're becoming successful. Uh, you know, it can be overwhelming. It's a lot. So having time, taking time to create a peace of mind, whether it's through meditation, yoga, qigong, whatever it is, sitting, just sitting outside and being quiet, whatever that is, you know, um, whatever that is for you, you know, finding that, making that a real part of your, your program is, is vitally important because, you know, you can get stressed out. You're running a, you're running a business as opposed to working for someone, it's not it's not nine to five, eight to four, two to eleven. You don't get off at you know X amount of time. No sick days, no <laughs> mental health days, none of that. <laughs> no. That's absolutely true. There's no calling out. There's no you know saying you're you're limited on the vacations that you take, and so you know you have to find a way to get a peace of mind. And so that you can think clearly and that you're not, you know, completely stressed out about what you're doing. Because these, you know, for us is, you know, 15 hours doing the festivals was 15 hours a day. But now it's 15 hours a day every day because we're seven days a week. So you have to, you know, be able to take time for yourself and, and be OK with it. We've learned to make Baltimore a vacation spot. So we live here. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we get the mindset like we have to be tourists too. You know, we haven't taken a vacation in a while. The last time we've been um, outside of Baltimore on a vacation was when Yelp nominated us top 100 businesses in North America and they sponsored a trip for us to go out to San Francisco. And this was, uh, I think it was in 2015. 2015. So that is the last time that we've actually been on like a four or five day vacation away from the restaurant. And I'm waiting for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's so important and so timely what you say. I can really relate to that because sometimes you feel like, you know, you're in, you've got so much to do and you feel like you've just got to stay in that spot and keep doing and doing. And But that can just end up making you feel more stressed. Where and, and so you think, well, I can't afford to take time out. But when you actually do take that time out, whether it's going to the gym or going for a walk or, like you say, doing some meditation – everything it kind of re-puts things back into perspective and you can actually be more productive when after doing that which was something that it took me a little while to get it and sometimes I forget and so talking to you has been a good good reminder um so I'm really (laughs) glad that you you shared that um so final that's what I wanted to ask you then you talked about you know there's the two of you you're a couple and you've got a child and you've got a business and you're working these really long hours and I think you touched on earlier that when you were looking for the location you had some kind of fierce debates and stuff have you got any obviously it can be a bit of a challenge for couples living and working together um any tips that you could offer others in this situation submit (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean i mean i I say that i'm laughing you know because my partner tracy says to me oh happy wife happy life so she kind of does the similar thing to me i'm the one i'll be going no we've got to this this and keep pushing and in the end she'll go she'll go all right then happy wife happy life so that's why i was laughing when you said that greg (laughs) it's an absolute truth um but you do have to learn submission because you know both of us are dynamic leaders in our own right and in different ways and so, you know, you have to know when to, you know, kind of take a step back and say, you know, you know, let the other person lead, you know, what I'm saying instead of, you know, trying to trying to be the leader all the time. It's not like when you're in a relationship, it is a relationship. So, you know, you know, it's not always about you, you know, what I'm saying it's about the other person. And then it's yeah, about so Greg can be a bully. <laughs> 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 not, not at all. Um, only only seven days a week. Um, but 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 it's all about but it's all about making things you know cohesive and working together. You know knowing you know knowing when one you know when when your partner is stronger than you is something and letting them be strong, letting them be strong, and then knowing when your partner is struggling or may not be able to do something and stepping up. You know, so understanding that and and having that balance. I mean, Nadja and I fortunately have always worked together. We worked in the, you know, same department for the same organization, or even when we were dating, you know, she would come over, she would be doing schoolwork for her master's degree, and I would be working on the business plan for the land of Kush. So we always kind of worked in the same environment together. So obviously that comes from years of practice but i definitely (laughs) would say um but it's definitely about you know submission and and being being humble and and knowing where you're picking your place is a lot of times with leadership a a good leader know knows when to lead and also when not to lead and allow someone else to lead right Exactly. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, and and, and not for nothing, you know, I took one of those Facebook analytics tests and and Greg happened to be my soulmate. So I guess that answers everything. Oh, (laughs) I love that. That's such good advice. And I think particularly for couples, like you say, who are both kind of what we'd call A type personalities is I really like that you you do. You have to kind of go, okay, now it's your turn to lead or to shine. And then and then another time now it's mine. And that 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 is a that's really, really great 
advice that you you've given there and it goes to show that you can still because sometimes people think oh if you're in a relationship you know one person's got to be the more naturally dominant and the other is kind of naturally more passive whatever but that's not necessarily true and I like that you've both shown how you know you can both be like you say dynamic in your own right um, and that can still work so I I really love that you've you've shared that that's fantastic Um, so this has been lovely you've shared some wonderful information um, and obviously you've got the vegan soul fest coming up um, again for this year what about your kind of any other anything else you'd like to let us know about or you know what your long-term vision is for the land of kush and for yourselves um so for the land of kush we're looking to franchise the business i mean we've you know been successful with this one location so now we're looking for a second location and, and looking at the opportunity to franchise the business um nationally if not globally um and so that's that's part of it and then i think we all i think both of us have our own uh personal goals that we want to write books and do public speaking um and uh, i want to get the reality tv in in there i have a uh, uh, a little background in um you know tv and film and i i think a really reality tv show outside of what we've seen with let's say some of the the chefs a different flair a house of kush type of deal would be good so i'm i'm trying i'm working on this concept and, and what it needs to look like uh we've we've done um a cooking show dvd which where we've sold 300 copies and we're working on a second version of that so uh look 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 forward to that Oh, and, um, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, let us know when that's Thank out you. and we'll we'll um, announce that on another episode in the Vegan Business News Roundup because that's that sounds fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Or radio, some radio, a radio show. So we're working on that as well. Oh, wonderful. Thank you both so much. That's been really wonderful speaking with you. I love what you're doing. Like you said, being the both the business and a social mission. It's great that you're able to do both and still be profitable. It's such a wonderful example. Um, and I'm really delighted that we, we got to do this. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you, you again, Katrina, for having us. So that was Naja Wright-Brown and Greg Brown from the Land of Kush. You can find out more at landofkush.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. I'm going to episode 62. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. More proof that anything can be veganized. Last week, you may recall, I reported on the launch of a packaged vegan brioche bread by Canadian bakery Osery. Now the Canadians are taking the lead with the launch of the country's first vegan shish taok restaurant, reports Montreal blog. Gusta is known for making artisanal vegan sausages, burgers, deli meats and cheeses, which are sold in grocers and independent retailers. Now it's planning to add another item to the menu – vegan kebabs when its store opens shortly. You can keep up to date with the launch on the company's Facebook page. As a friend posted recently, there's lots of reasons to like Canada recently. (laughs) One of New York's oldest dairy companies closed last year due to being economically unviable. Now that alone is news to celebrate. What's even better, though, is that Henry Schwartz, who operated the family-owned dairy plant Elmhurst Dairy, has launched a range of plant-based milks, reports Veg News. Elmhurst Milked launched last week at the Natural Foods Expo West trade show in Anaheim, California. The range consists of four nut-based flavours, including cashew, walnut, almond and hazelnut. According to the company's new website, it's aiming to lead the plant-based revolution by creating creamy nut milks. I love this. I mean, this is what we want. Dairy businesses to transition to producing plant-based products. Often animal advocates and vegans are criticised for wanting to put an end to animal agriculture industries. You know, we're accused of wanting to put farmers out of jobs. But actually what we're after is creating an economy based on ethical products, which are beneficial to people, animals and planet. I really hope Elmhurst Milt will be the first of many companies to ditch dairy and switch to 100% producing plant-based milks. 
New figures released this week show the continued massive growth of the plant-based sector. Data released by the Plant-Based Foods Association via SPINS, a retail sales data company for the natural and speciality products industry, showed plant-based milk sales topped $4.2 billion over the past year, with 13.1% growth for refrigerated products in the natural channel. The data also showed that cheese alternatives are the fastest growing category with 31.4% growth in the natural channel and 18% growth in all channels for a total of $104 million in sales over the past year. Plant-based meat exceeded $606 million in sales last year, with refrigerated meat alternatives experiencing especially high growth at 15.9% in the natural channel. Spins analysed data in four categories, non-dairy beverages, refrigerated and shelf-stable, cheese alternatives, meat alternatives, frozen and refrigerated, and tofu products over a 52-week period ending January 22, 2017. Finally, the humble pea is revolutionising the plant-based sector as the global pea protein market is predicted to represent a market value of over US$34.4 million in 2016, according to Future Market Insights. North America will continue to lead global demand and increase its revenue share to 35.3% in 2016. In the long term, Future Market Insights estimates global revenues of pea protein to surpass US$104 million by 2026. Wow, (laughs) the future really is looking rosy with this massive growth in plant-based foods. I'm not particularly a numbers person. I do a lot better with words, but I love these kind of numbers. Let's hope they continue to grow. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. Yeah.